we can find storm survival. First of all, we find it when in the midst of the storm we remember who's in the boat with us. That's very important, very important. Because being individuals who have a human nature to suffer from an overdose of itis, as all of us does, I think we have a tendency to believe that when the winds blow and the boat rocks and the waves are filling in upon us and the foundation is shaking, individually we seem to think and believe and say so in echoing the spiritual, nobody knows the trouble I am seeing. That's true. We have kind of a feeling, don't we, at times, that when we're suffering and when the winds are beating against us, nobody has ever really experienced what we are going through. Now that may be a feeling we have, but it's not correct. It's not right. It's not sound. Now, I don't care what experience you're suffering from today, what separation you are knowing, what sickness you might have, what suffering and sorrow is yours. makes no difference. You are not alone. Jesus Christ is in your boat. <laughs> he knows and understands exactly what you are going through. You see, what Scripture tries to tell us, together with the creeds, and especially that Apostles' Creed, which we recite here most every Sunday, it tries to tell us, you see, that there has never been an experience, nor will there ever be a new experience, that Jesus does not understand. That he knows what it is to be separated, to suffer, and to, to have sorrow. That there's absolutely nothing that can happen to us that he has not already experienced and knows all about. There's no storm that he has not been able to still. And you see, though we may think that God is far away from us in the midst of our own individual storms, and that Jesus is asleep and couldn't care less, that's not true. He's there. And there's a tremendous amount of strength that can come to help our survival when in the midst of the storm and the beating waves and the blowing winds that we remember that Jesus is in the boat with us, that he's there, maybe asleep, but he's there, he's there, and he understands, and he knows, and he empathizes, and he stands ready to help. As you see, that leads us to the second thing that we can do to survive in a storm. We can ask Jesus to help us. Yes. It's surprising how we wait until everything else has been tried before we try to ask Jesus. We ask pastors, we ask physicians, we ask psychiatrists. Oh, we ask all sorts of people before we ask Jesus to help us. And that's why we get shipwrecked from time to time. Because this is the one whom we ought to ask first. But many people say, no, they, they really don't feel right in asking Jesus. Jesus ought to know. 
He ought to know what I'm going through, and he ought to be able to work in my life without my asking him. You see, when you think that way, you put Jesus in a horrible situation. Jesus, you know, is the Son of God. And together with the Father, he was present when we were created in the image of God. Now, what's that mean? It means that God has given to us several godly characteristics, one of which is freedom. And God, because he loves us, and because he has created us in his image, has given us this freedom, this independence, and God respects it, even though maybe we don't. God respects our privacy. God respects that he has given us this freedom. He wants to help us, but he will never interfere and force his way in. He'll stand by and he'll wait. He'll offer a hand whenever we ask him, but he will never, never will he force himself into our lives. And even though sometimes he sees us going down for the third time or heading for the rocks of disaster and despair, though his heart is heavy, he only stands and waits for us to ask him for help. Because, you see, if God did not respect that freedom, that individuality that he has given to us, he would not love us. But out of love, he stands and he waits, but always with an opened ear, hoping that we will ask. So we have to ask. There's no other way. Jesus tried to make this clear when in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you for everyone. You see, just not Presbyterians or a few people who go to church, but everyone who asks receives. He who seeks will find. The one who knocks, it will be opened unto you. Who of you, if, if, a, if your own son asks for some bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for the fish, will give him a serpent. No, no, you won't do that, said Jesus. And if you who are evil know how to good, give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts unto you who ask him? You'd be surprised the number of people that I run into in my line of work. When I say, have you asked Jesus for help? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you, see, you see, Reverend, I haven't been in church for a while. I wouldn't dare now think of running to him just when I'm in trouble. Have you tried prayer? Well, well no, you see, I, I don't pray too much of the time, and I don't think it's fair now to come at this particular time just when I'm in trouble. You know, that's so senseless and stupid. You know. We don't stay away from the doctor when we have a gallbladder attack simply because we've never had a gallbladder attack before. I've never known anybody says, I'm staying out of the hospital because I've never been there before. When you're sick, you go and ask for help. You call the fire department when your house is on fire. You don't say, I've never called them before. I'll, I won't call them now and let the house burn down. Yet how many people will not call upon Jesus? And Jesus can't do a thing 
because he loves us and respects us until we call upon him. You see, you can't have the help of Jesus in a storm unless you're willing to pocket your pride. And I think that's really what it's all about. That's why it's so hard for us. We think we can make it on our own or we can get along somehow and we can try our self-survival kits, but you can't. You know, I, I, I feel sorry for those poor men, Peter, James, and John, whoever was in that boat. You know, those were fishermen by profession. They were raised in the sea. They knew all about boats and storms. And here they have to go ask a carpenter's son to help them in the midst of a storm. That's humiliating. But they went. They pocketed their pride and only took five words. Master, master, we are perishing. You can do it with one word when in an attitude of prayer you say, help. That's all it takes to ask Jesus to help you when he's in the boat with you when the storms strike. Third thing to do, check your faith. Check your faith. That's what Jesus asked these people to do. And notice very carefully what he asks of them. He says, where is your faith? He didn't say to them, go out and get more faith. He didn't give them a lecture as to what constitutes a mature adult faith. He asked them a question as to where did you misplace that thing that I've already given to you, faith. This is so simple, it's difficult to comprehend because you see, ladies and gentlemen, faith, faith is not something you go get, it's something you already have gotten. Faith is not something that is out there, it's in here. It's not something you talk about, it's something you do. But how many times I hear people saying, oh, I, I have to have more faith. No, just use what you have, that's all. Use what you have. Where is your faith? And, and that's what we have to ask in the midst of a storm if, if we want Jesus to help us. And it's a reasonable checkpoint because, you see, we are people who by nature live by faith. Last night when, when you went out for dinner or ate at home, you had the faith that the people who prepared the food were not trying to poison you and you ate it and you had a good time. This morning you went and got in your automobile and the belief with the faith that your car would bring you here. You came in the faith that we would be here. Hoping maybe we wouldn't so you could go back home and go to bed, but you came believing we would be here. You send your children to school with the faith that they're going to learn and the teachers are going to teach them correctly. You don't demand a paycheck every night when you go home from your work because you have faith that your employer will pay you on your payday. But let us get into a storm. Let the winds blow and the waves rise up. Let the foundation shake. And what do we do with the faith? We begin to be fearful rather than have faith. We begin to think about the worst instead of about the best. We begin to think about disaster 
rather than survival. And I think in the midst of a storm, we need somebody. And I don't know of anybody better than yourself. Merely to stand us on our ears and to shake us and say, Where is your faith? Check on your faith. And then lastly, and probably this is the most difficult and the part that I think I missed in this incident for so long. You have to be willing to be filled with Christian fear. Christian fear. Have you ever noticed how many times you've read that particular incident in, in, in Scripture and you get so excited the fact that, that Jesus stood up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm that we forget later on that it says, and the disciples were afraid. Do you catch it? <laughs> Nowhere does that adjective afraid appear in this particular incident until after the storm is over and Jesus has, has caused the waves and the winds to be still. You would think the fear would be during the storm or seeing the storm coming, but no, these disciples were filled with fear after the storm was stilled. Did you, did you catch this? Mark does it very beautifully in his gospel. He said they were filled with a fear of fear. That's the way the Greek, original Greek reads. A fear that was awesome and astonishing and amazing. They weren't glad. They were frightened at the one who could command even the wind and the water. See, that's a very important part to understand if you're going to survive a storm. You have to be willing to be frightened, not during, but after. You see, and I think what they're really trying to say is that Christians, for them, there is a thing that is called fear. Now that sounds very strange to be coming from a Presbyterian Protestant preacher from a pulpit. Most people, I think, are under the impression that Christians never fear. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I think there are two types of fear that the Bible talks about. There's good fear and there's bad fear. There's fear that is helpful and there's fear that is a hindrance. There is fear that is creative and there's a fear that is destructive. And Christians are to have the good type of fear. There is a fear, you see, that can come into our lives because of a lack of faith. That's bad fear. But there is fear that can come into our lives as a consequence of our faith. And that is the good or creative fear. That's the kind of fear that we are going to have. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think you can tell somebody to quit fearing any more than you can tell somebody to quit breathing, quit eating, quit sleeping. Fear is as much of us as, is the, as are these other qualities which God gives us and are necessary if we are going to be living. But I think we can, with Jesus Christ, come to the place to find a fear that is good and healthy and right. It is impossible, you know, to fear opposites. You can't do that. If you are frightened and fearful of darkness, you cannot fear the light. 
If you are fearful of growing old, you're never fearful of staying young. If you're going to be fearful of the storm, you see, you cannot be frightened of the one who can still the storm. But if you are more frightened out of amazement and glory and majesty of the one who stills the storm, you cannot be frightened of the storm. And that kind of fear, says the psalmist, is the beginning of wisdom. I have to be honest with you. That kind of fear that we are talking about, that good fear, that Christian fear, we don't see much of it today. I read the other day in a book where it used to be our forefathers. They feared God and nobody or anything else. Today, we fear everybody and anything else, but don't fear God. That Fear is hard to come by. You can't manufacture that kind of fear. Do you know where that kind of fear comes from? Only from storms. Only from coming through a storm successfully and having survived the wind. And you can't come through that without faith. And you can't have faith without realizing you have to ask Jesus. And we never ask Jesus until we're in a boat that is sinking. So ladies and gentlemen, the next time the winds blow, the next time the boat shakes, the next time the water is about to drown you, find a new cheer for knowing you are on the process and on the sea to find a new type of fear because when you fear God and keep his commandments that's all the duty there is for any one of us to do here in life that's when we can say, O oh Lord, as we have just sung, speak to us through the earthquake, through the wind, and through the fire. Still, calm voice, speak to us. Amen and amen. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways and help us when the sudden storms to strike and strike in our midst, not to be frightened or afraid of the storm, but realize that we are in the glory, the amazement, and the marvelous sight of the one who controls and stills the winds and the waves. Father, help us to use our faith. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. And on what sea of life you are today, forever and ever.